Welcome to the Science Witch Podcast, where we explore how science and witchcraft intersect, interact, and affirm one another. I'm your co-host, Ruby. And I'm your co-host, Angel. And this is our 53rd episode and our special Samhain episode. Angel got to talk with paranormal investigator and author J. Allen Cross about the topic of trauma-informed paranormal resolution. This topic has continued to be a through line in a lot of our discussions, including our upcoming Veterans Day episode with Shane, where we talk about mental health treatment among veterans and how witchcraft that he practices helps inform his mental health practice. The theory that trauma can inform as well as be a unifying concept towards understanding both the paranormal and human interactions is something that we are going to develop more over the course of the further conversations with Jay Allen, as well as other guests. And it is a topic I'm sure we will continue to explore on this podcast. I personally think that right now is the perfect time to be talking about things like this. Going through the editing process, I kept thinking about the context of the ongoing events in the Middle East and how compounded trauma is the artificial norm there, especially in Palestine. I know on my side of things, I've had to take a bit of a step back from social media, especially after having seen literal horrors on TikTok, and sometimes it just feels like I'm screaming into a void where the only responses that I get are from people who seem to want the bad things to happen. So, uh, I also recognize the privilege that I have in saying that my home isn't being bombed right now, and I have the time to step away and come back. Like, in another universe, I'd be a music teacher right now, and to hear that Gaza canceled their 2023 to 24 school year because of how many of the children in the city were killed. And I can't help but think in another universe that could have been me in one of those schools. Yeah, and just as off script for a moment to say that we at the Science Witch Podcast support the humanitarian need and aid in Gaza because as you said, there are children who are being killed and they're not involved with Hamas and yet they are still being made the victims of this brutal war crimes that we're all witnessing. And yeah, it is really difficult to have to witness this, especially with the fact that it is so well documented now because thanks to social media and so that we're constantly bombarded with these images of children being killed. So it is important to stay vigilant and as we here in the United States use our voice and platform to advocate for a ceasefire in Gaza and also that humanitarian aid be given to the people of Gaza. But also that in this time of year that we are in the Samhain season, and that this is our Samhain special, I just helped lead a very emotional Samhain ritual. And I'm reminded of the power of sharing our grief with our community and holding space for those who have lost loved ones to be able to share the stories and speak the names of their beloved dead. Our ritual last night was, as I said, very emotional. And while I've been hella busy trying to keep up with all these activities, the podcast, the very many D&D games I'm involved with, and starting a 40-hour-a-week job this past month, I was thinking that we would just skip Samhain this year because of how overloaded and busy I've been. But then something told me that the community really needed this. And so I'm glad I was able to muster the energy and the help from the other coordinators of the WAL, which is the Willamette, to be able to host a Samhain ritual because honoring our beloved dead and sharing our grief and celebrating with our community are important touchstones to the year that I find, no matter how tired and overwhelmed I feel leading up to it, it's always a good thing. And I'm always grateful that I make time to hold space and observe these rituals. And so without further ado, we present to you our conversation with J. Allen Cross about trauma-informed paranormal resolution. Oh, 
Okay, welcome back to the podcast, Jay Allen, and thank you for coming on for our special guest for our Samhain special. We had started talking about this topic last time when you were on the show, and since then I have listened to your book, The Witch's Guide to the Paranormal, and has really helped inform more of my thought process and as well as just like fermenting this idea of the topic of trauma-informed paranormal resolution and how trauma is a through line through these various types of paranormal activity. So as a compendium to our Samhain episode from last year about how epigenetics and ancestral healing are related to this concept of healing our ancestral line by understanding the traumas that happened to our ancestors, I felt this was a very pertinent and insightful topic to discuss for this year's Samhain special. And you are, of course, the perfect guest to bring on to talk about this. So since we last talked about this, I I wanted to ask you how this idea of trauma-informing paranormal resolutions has been fermenting for you since we last spoke about it. I absolutely love that you're using the term fermenting here (laughs) as well, because I feel like it has a a very documentary feel to it. Like this is something that's been cooking, it's been growing, it's been metabolizing. There's been so much that's been happening in my brain on this topic. And I'm really glad that you brought up this idea and in this context, because since we last talked, I've been really kind of mulling it over, or I guess letting it ferment (laughs) as we've been talking. And it's been helping me to reframe or restructure or or find vocabulary for it that I didn't have before. And it's funny because this is what I've been doing since the beginning is this mm-hmm. idea of kind of trauma-informed paranormal investigation work. But I never, for some reason, put it in that basket. I never decided to put that language with it. Or, or I guess I just never connected those dots. But it's funny looking back at it now since we last talked. Like my paranormal investigation team, our slogan is like helping people and guiding spirits. Mm -hmm. And we often kind of joke about how we're not so much investigators or exorcists as much as we are like spirit therapists. Mm -hmm. But they often need the most. We're we're counseling spirits, we're we're counseling those that the living people that they're around and haunting and (laughs) trying to find the through line there. So since we last talked, it's been a lot of shifting around in my brain the language and connecting a lot of dots between this idea of trauma Mm -hmm. and trauma-informed paranormal investigation and how not only is that something that I've been doing but also how can we then bring this idea to other people utilize this language that people already understand in order to kind of get them on board so it's been there's been quite a bit of fermentation (laughs) yeah yeah and this is one of those conversations that really has just like opened up this whole like insight into what we experience as the paranormal Mm -hmm. and reading your book or listening to it because I'm a big fan of having both the hard copy of the book and then listening to it on audiobook it was this just very yeah like I said just insightful way to conceptualize why we have paranormal activity and then also Mm -hmm. like how the paranormal is in some ways the energetic expression of trauma that has happened because oftentimes and and this is something when we were first talking about the incident there's something that happened that usually related to a traumatic experience that causes different types of these paranormal categories. And in your book, you go through these different types of categories and each type of haunting can be in some way connected back to this idea of trauma. For instance, with the non-human entities, such as land spirits, usually when you are called to do some sort of paranormal investigation involving land spirits, it's because there's been some sort of traumatic event on the land or something that has been done to that particular parcel of land that has caused the spirits in that place to become restless and and sometimes even vengeful. 
Mm-hmm. And the idea that trauma is echoing not only in our DNA, not only in our communities and the way that we as humans interact with each other, but also that it continues to have an echoing effect in our environment and in the sort of these ambient energies all around us. Because there's a lot of talk about what exactly is paranormal investigation and how it can be scientifically studied. But if we're looking at it from, okay, what was the event or story that perpetrated this initial event and what we can learn from it? Because there's no denying that strange occurrences seem to be associated with traumatic events. And we we talked a little mm-hmm. bit about this on the last time, but I thought maybe in since this has been a couple of months since we had this conversation, do you have any specific cases that you would want to highlight where understanding the trauma history of a particular situation helped inform the paranormal resolution? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think more often than not, it's finding out the story, what happened, what was the ignition point for this haunting And that's what's, when you find out what caused it, what stirred it up, then you can sort of backtrack and find a resolution for it. And I love that you bring up this idea of land spirits too, because our understanding of trauma is very human-based right now, which is great. I think that's really important that we understand that for ourselves and each other. You know, how our nervous system works, how our brains function and our chemicals and all those things. That's really important when it comes to trauma, but also this idea that spirits can have trauma as well, either from their life that they've carried over into the afterlife, or even in death experiencing trauma. So when you bring up this idea of like land spirits, we had a case in Lower Washington several years ago. It's it's one of the cases that I talk about in the book, where something was left on this person's porch. It was all very weird. It It got very Blair Witch Project. But where we found out the trouble was, is this house that we were called to is this beautiful home in the middle of this wooded area, just absolutely gorgeous. And in order to build this home, they had to clear cut this big old section out of the forest in order to make room for it. And that was very jarring (laughs) for the spirits that were already there who were not consulted, who called this home, who, you know, had spent however many thousands of years there before someone decided to just chop it down and make a home there. And we see this type of trauma reflected in, you know, human race, where people had entire ways of living in certain areas for thousands of years. And then someone just comes in and is like, just kidding, this is my home now. And this is not a unique experience just to humans. This is something that happens with spirits as well. And so until... (laughs) There would be no resolution to this haunting if we had approached this as just, well, we're just going to clear all them out. You know, we're just going to just stage the entire forest or whatever you see on TV or, you know, just holy water throughout the entire forest. That's not going to help. Right. Because we need conflict resolution. We need to understand why what happened was a problem. There needs to be amends that are made. You know, we have to approach it as, okay, where did we mess up? Mm-hmm. And how can we backtrack, say we're sorry, try to fix it as much as we can, and then we find resolution, other than just constantly engaging in war of just being like, you know what, this person decided to build a house there, get used to it, blah, blah, blah. Like, And it becomes difficult because, of course, this person isn't just going to like, sorry, I'm going to just move my house, or <laughs> I'm just going to burn down my house. It's okay, like acknowledging what was done there. And then making amends for it. But then we also have other types of hauntings. Oh gosh, there are so many that fit those descriptions. I have have two other possible ones as well. So one of my very first paranormal investigations, I ran across a spirit of a young woman who was living in this person's basement. And I call this girl the spider girl because she had the spirit who was stuck in this basement had made friends with this enormous wolf spider population that had kind of been growing down there, which me as as an arachnophobe, I was not excited about, but definitely went through with this case anyway, because you do what you got to do. And through working with the spirit, again, there are people out there who would have just been like, I'm just going to banish the spirit from this basement. But 
then where do they go? What happens? That, that doesn't fix it. They just go somewhere else or, you know, are then just rejected from yet another place. And so in working with the spirit and talking with the spirit, we came to understand the reason why she was stuck down there was because in life, her father had, as a form of punishment, kept locking her down in that basement when they had lived in that house previously for long periods of time wow. to where we got the impression that sometimes it was days. And so when she died, it was kind of her prison in life. And then when she died, it kind of became her prison in the afterlife as well. And so instead of just, quote unquote, exercising her from the space, we actually ended up very slowly making a connection with her, helping her to feel safe with us. And we were trying to get her to come out of the basement and into the light because it was a beautiful spring day up above. And we kind of got her to come fairly close. And so where she was in the basement, let me just paint a quick picture here. When you open this like trap door in the floor, it goes down a staircase down into like this little room. And in one wall in this little room, which was the basement, there was like a literal hole in the wall that I had to crawl through into the crawl space. And she was in the crawl space is where we had found her. And so we're trying to coax her down this little hallway that's the crawl space into the main basement and then up the stairs. And we can feel her getting closer to this opening to come into the main basement area where she can kind of see the light. And we feel her hesitate mm. and get really concerned. And we, the other psychic I was working with, we felt like something was coming. Something was about to happen. We weren't sure what exactly was about to happen until this, the biggest wolf spider I had ever seen comes crawling out of this hole in the wall. And we all very much got this impression that it was coming to look for her to make sure that it was safe. And what we ended up doing in order to fix this haunting was we ended up trapping this giant spider in a jar, taking it upstairs, showing it outside the beautiful day. We brought it back down and put it back in the hole where it had come from. And within moments, the spirit of this girl comes out of the hole, goes racing up the stairs, and we feel her go into the light, literally, not just like the beautiful spring day, but like out to the other side. She moved on. She was able to escape and go from there. And I don't think that haunting would have ever fully cleared up had we not understood her in that way and in and her situation in that way and approached her in the way that she needed based on the trauma that she had endured yeah. during this life. Yeah. The last one, because I talk about several different types of hauntings in the book. So we're going to talk about it's kind of three here real quick. So we had that last one is a human earthbound spirit, which is a, a human soul that is stuck here. We had talked about land spirits, which is an inhuman spirit entity. And another one I talk about in the book is a residual haunting, which is when something happens in a space that it's either repeated enough times to kind of be picked up on the energy in the space, or is so traumatic, or has such an outpouring or burst of energy that it is scorched in the space. And you get these all kinds of ways. These are the ones that kind of work like clockwork. You know, you hear something very common is kind of like, oh, well, in this house, like a woman in in white, you know, walks down this hallway every single night at 3am or whatever, because probably in life, she walked down that hallway all the time at that specific time and it kind of got stuck in the space or sometimes people will hear like a clattering in their house at a certain time usually like in the middle of the night because something had happened and it was kind of stuck in the space there's not an actual spirit there but the energy of whatever happened is just kind of stuck there and repeating over and over and over again so understanding that i was called to an elementary school a few years back and they were having difficulties with one room in particular. There was a lot of disruption that was happening in it that wasn't happening in any of the other classrooms. They were having a really hard time keeping teachers in that room as well. Just like a lot of weird stuff was happening where they're like, something's wrong with this room. So they call me as kind of like <laughs> a last ditch thing. <laughs> like the uh, several teachers actually kind of brought me in and I'm going through this classroom and this classroom feels like a classroom. It has the energy of children and learning and, you know, like, and when I pick up on energies, I can hear it. So like, I hear a lot of like, you know, pencils clattering on desks and, you know, normal classroom stuff. 
And so I'm like, I'm not really picking up anything. I'm, I'm expecting some sort of weird spirit to be there and nothing except for there is a, a bathroom in this particular classroom. And so I go to the back where this bathroom is and I go to look in just to be like, just to be thorough, like, well, might as well just check everything out. And I open up this bathroom and the feeling is immediate of fear and betrayal. And I very quickly come to this understanding that something really bad happened to a child in this room. And we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. And it wasn't a spirit of a child that was still there, but this moment when this thing happened to this child, this trauma was still stuck in the space and it was affecting the entire classroom. It was affecting how people felt in it. And children are very good at picking up on this type of stuff, like very subtle energy things. Children are very good at picking up on. So no wonder they had disruptions in the classrooms. They had kind of issues happening there. And so I went in and I do kind of a ritual that I do with incense because I, I like to use incense for these particular types of hauntings because I feel like they can really lift this energy out of the space. And then I can kind of give it to a higher power for healing. And then it's, it's lifted out of the space and it's no longer stuck there. And I feel like, and of course I have, I have no proof of this, but I would like to think that by releasing the trauma from the area that it happened in it, and by kind of removing that anchor to the trauma, energetically speaking, that whoever this child was, who is still out in the world, living their life, as far as I know, that they received some sort of healing, or they felt this weight lift, or they felt the root of this trauma kind of recede in a way that was beneficial for them. And since our last talk, I've actually been going over that particular case over and over again. And also, because of course, the Science of Witch podcast, this idea of quantum entanglement keeps right. coming. Yes. Like if I can affect this space over here where their trauma happened, if I can heal this space, because not only do I lift it out, but I also utilizing energy healing techniques, like I've been trained in Reiki and, and other things very similarly, providing that healing to the space, as well as lifting that energy out. I would like to hope that one can affect the other in a positive way. And so I think when we approach paranormal investigation from this trauma-informed you know, direction, we can provide a much deeper healing and relief and clearing than any throwing around holy water and screaming at the ghost to get out. It, it's, right. We can provide much deeper resolution to this. Right. And I feel like that you know, paranormal activity is an outgrowth of trauma. And this is something mm -hmm. that we see with ancestral healing and there's scientific evidence to support this. One of the case studies that I mentioned from this book, or maybe I didn't mention on the actual podcast, but that was given in the book, It Didn't Start With You, which was the book that I actually had read in preparation for that episode was that there is this echo of trauma that happens in the DNA that if you are not aware of the things that happened in your family system that can continue to perpetuate through your DNA. And one of the cases that he found was a patient who came to him, the psychologist who wrote the book, who was having severe insomnia. And it started right when the patient was 20 years old and he had been struggling with insomnia for years and years and years. And finally he goes to the therapist and they find out that he had an uncle who died when he was 20 years old by dying. Um, the uncle was 20 years old when he died and he was working on a phone, like reestablishing power lines after a storm and he froze to death. And one of the features of the nephew's insomnia was he would get really, really cold. So somehow, oh, wow. even though the nephew never knew about this uncle, like the family never talked about him. He was completely erased from the memory. He wasn't honored on the aferenda. He wasn't part of the family stories. And the outgrowth of that was this trauma that was inherited by 
not his direct even relation like the uncle he was the uncle of the of the nephew that was the patient and because the father experienced this incredible trauma of seeing his little brother dying in this way that was passed through the dna and it wasn't fully recognized or integrated until the patient came to the therapist with this problem of insomnia and then once the uncle was recognized and the nephew was able to basically do the ancestral healing that he needed a lot of his insomnia completely went away and in a way i feel like that's also what's happening with the paranormal is that it's not being expressed in the dna of the family system because maybe it doesn't have a family system that it can be expressed in it has but it's that that energetic footprint is still there right the times when human beings are exhibiting the highest amount of energy and energetic output is during trauma or sex right these are the two ways that human energy is expressed in an extremely heightened form and in these particular types of events the echo of that energy continues and that was something you talked about in terms of fracturing when a grandpa is an abusive alcoholic who perpetuated tons of trauma so when he passes on nobody wants to really honor him then that fractured part of him that committed all this traumatic impact on the family system continues because it wasn't acknowledged. It wasn't brought and integrated into the family system. And in a way that is seen as an echo in both like paranormal activity, as well as in the genetics and the ancestral healing. And that's something that feels like this is one of the ways that we can approach a unified theory of the paranormal in that when we can know these stories, we can resolve them. And that is a way of not only healing the ancestral trauma, but also healing our DNA and then healing the physical space of the place where this trauma happened. And one of the things I was thinking about from the scientific perspective, if we were to say, set up in a, a hypothesis, we could say, loosely defined what a paranormal activity or event is. You know, there's there's different sorts of ways we talked about before about measuring it. And then, of course, there's events that happen and certain types of activity that we could use a way to measure it. And one of the things that I was hypothesizing is that we would see a greater incidence of paranormal activity according to the trauma that had occurred in a particular location and that we could trace this and actually study it in a scientific way. And having this trauma-informed perspective in studying the paranormal, it means that it's more than just, ooh, spooky ghosts, do ghosts exist mm -hmm. or not? That is irrelevant, really, whether or not ghosts exist, because what we are experiencing is measurable and it is within this term uh, loosely of paranormal activity that we can actually measure, that we can have data about, and then linking it to why is this place haunted? What happened in this area? And sometimes it's very obvious. One of the most haunted places, this is something that a lot of people talk about, is Gettysburg. Exactly. Gettysburg is one of the most haunted places where you can almost like reliably have a paranormal experience if you're there at night. And of course, in American history, Gettysburg was one of the most brutal and bloody and traumatic events of the entire Civil War. And even like close to 200 years later, we are still seeing the impacts of that trauma. And in that case, you could say that it was the trauma of this horrible battle, which thousands and thousands of people on both sides of the conflict were massacred and died in very brutal ways that in a large part was the reason not just Gettysburg but the entire civil war was the reason we have spiritualism and a lot of the the types of mediumship and things you talk about where we really started to have to reconcile with the paranormal in a way that was 
in large part trauma-informed because of how traumatic this was to both the living and the dead and how that resonance of the energy that was exhibited and expressed in that place and time continues to have echoes and reverberations. And so, yeah, I mean, that was one of the things I was thinking if we were to take this and like present it as a uh, potential research topic is paranormal activity correlated with trauma and that having that trauma informed way to come about resolutions and seeing if understanding what happened in that traumatic event lessens the paranormal activity by telling these stories because the stories of what happened and the truth of what happened, it doesn't just disappear. You know, there's ways that it continues to reverberate, even if it is suppressed, even if it is hidden, even if people don't know the truth of their family systems. If a horrible traumatic event, it will have reverberations in genetic. And this is something that we've seen that, that has been studied. So, you know, what if this could be something to as a a pathway of understanding paranormal activity and understanding why we see certain areas are quote haunted and Mm -hmm. again that's you know something that your work really got me thinking about in terms of not only just like like conceptualizing what paranormal activity is and how it can fit into this framework but also not being as afraid of the paranormal and spirits interaction because it, it most people if they have a paranormal experience it freaks them out like it is a yeah. terrifying thing you know like we have enough horror movies and it it is a terrifying thing when you are thrown into something that you're not really prepared for and your book really helps to give and like empower people who find themselves in this situation. And, and I wanted to ask in this perspective, do you worry that this is like writing a manual on how to deal with this in such a practical way? Do you think it's going to possibly take away from your business as a paranormal investigator? Lord, I hope so. (laughs) It's part of the reason why I wrote this book was you know, like I said, this is something that I've kind of intuitively been doing since the beginning. So I wasn't always with a paranormal investigation team. I actually started doing, you know, house clearings and paranormal resolutions on my own when I was like 15. That's when I first started doing this. I started going to people's houses, their business. They were like, you know, I have something weird going on. So I'd go in and I'd, you know, talk to their spirits, help them cross over, help them find peace in whatever way that I could. Or, you know, if there was something else there going on, you know, I would do whatever I could to kind of fix it. And then later on, I joined a paranormal investigation team who also was very similarly minded. Their goal was to find a solution, to fix it, to heal it, not just, you know, clear it out, but to fix it, see if we could resolve the haunting. And that was very important to me. But as I started to get more followers through social media and kind of became sort of a voice for paranormal and witchcraft topics, I began getting a lot of people from other states, other countries messaging me going, I have this happening in my house, I need you to help me. And I'm like, well, you're in Nebraska, and I can't get in there. So let me real quick look up your local paranormal investigation team, and see if I can get you some help. And so I go online, find who's in their area, which is surprisingly easy to do. I I encourage everybody to kind of just Google and see if there's one in your town, you might be surprised to find out that there is a paranormal team uh, in your local area. And I would message these these groups and go, hey, I have somebody, they're experiencing this thing, can you go and help them? And if I got a response from these paranormal teams, pretty much 100% of the time across the board, the response would be, well, we can't do anything to help fix it, but we'd love to come and take some pictures. Right. Right. And that's like the most frustrating response that you can ever get. And that's when I began to realize, oh, that my method and my team's method of approaching paranormal investigation is actually far from ubiquitous at this point. It's actually quite rare. And so I actually knew that I was going to write this book before I wrote my first book. I knew that this one was coming the entire time because I needed to get this information out there. How do we fix a haunting? How do we approach this? And so I am really, really hoping that a lot of people pick up this book and do start doing the work because let me tell you, I am tired. (laughs) I have been doing this 
for a minute now, both by myself and with a team. And the world is a very haunted place. There is a lot of trauma going in this world. And yes, so there are, I need other people to get on board and help with this because sometimes I feel like me and my team are the only ones and we all have day jobs. (laughs) Right. So I'm very much hoping that other people will be able to jump on board and start sharing kind of the load of this work because there's plenty of work to go around. Right. Yeah, there, there is. And it also helps empower those people who are experiencing this and are maybe fearful as a way to say, okay, no, you still have the power and ability to do this. You don't have to go get a priest. You don't have to, Mm -hmm. you know, find somebody and have them charge them tons and tons of money. Like this is something if you have the will and you have in a lot of ways, the training and the perspective that you bring in this book, you can resolve a paranormal situation in a way that will help to, well, just make an environment more peaceful. And that might involve, as you said, exercising the spirit, or it could just mean like we talked about in the other episode with the situation at the restaurant in New Orleans, which the name is slipping my mind, but it's one of these buildings in the French Quarter that has been around since like the 1780s. And the contractors that were coming in from California to renovate it and turn it into, because it was built, uh, it was bought as an investment property, They kept having all this disruption to their work, and it got to the point where they had to bring in some paranormal investigators and voodoo-sans because it's New Orleans. And the resolution was to set a table for the ghosts. And that's when the disruptive paranormal activity went down. And now there is that recognizing that the spirits of this place, which New Orleans is very heavy with spirits because it's one of the most haunted places in the United States because it is also one of the oldest inhabited parts of the United States. And so there's just so much of that human activity that is just layered onto it that trying to come in with the perspective of, I'm going to exercise all these ghosts is just, it's like trying to remediate mold and from a building that has been around for hundreds of years, right? It's it's just not going to happen. You have to find a way to at least work with the materials and the environment so that it can still be livable. And that was exactly what had to happen with the paranormal activity. But mm. I wanted to also, you know, talk about a little bit about the whole idea of the paranormal investigator. And you know, when we we use the term paranormal investigator, oftentimes it conjures up this idea of the people that you would reach out to that are just really interested in being tourists. They're really just there to, in a lot of ways, take pictures and create spooky content for their TV reality TV show or YouTube channel. They're not really interested or inquisitive of why the haunting's happening, what occurred in that area, or maybe they are, but they don't do it in a way that's like, hey, this is a way to approach the investigation that is both informed, trauma-informed, but also compassionate. They're just looking for the content clicks, right? They're not looking for the resolution. And why do you think that this impression and approach to paranormal investigating is harmful and inappropriate for approaching, you know, this type of work? And how do you envision that the paranormal investigation field should improve? Absolutely. So this is one thing I really ran into when I put this book out or started marketing that that this book was coming was this vast misunderstanding about what paranormal investigation is. And mostly it was from the witchcraft community, which was which was very shocking that the moment I started talking about the witch's guide to paranormal, you know, like we're talking about paranormal investigation, people, other witches would automatically comment, why would I do paranormal investigation? I have no desire to be on television. And I'm like, you, you think that it's only for TV? I began to realize that a lot of people thought that the only reason why people would do paranormal investigation was on and for television and that there was no other purpose for it. And that only the only paranormal investigators that existed were the ones that we see on TV, which I have an enormously difficult time with, because not only is that not true, 
But what we see on TV is incredibly inaccurate for what most paranormal investigation teams and the process of paranormal investigation is like for a lot of people. Because what we see on TV is what I call paratainment. It's not there to actually be paranormal investigation because paranormal investigation is extremely boring. Right. It's a lot of time sitting in a dark room going, is anybody here? And getting absolutely nothing. And then you go home and spend another 12 hours sifting through evidence to see if anything is there at all. It's very boring. And so in order to actually make a show about it, they have to portray it in a way that's completely inaccurate. And I think as witches, we should know not to take media representation of things like this at face value. Most of the paranormal investigation teams that I have come across are extremely respectful of the spirits. And in fact, a lot of them have very specific rules about not antagonizing the spirits. A lot of the teams that I've worked with have rules that are like, you know what, if we see you out here antagonizing spirits, challenging them to a fight, like, you know, you see on the Discovery Channel or whatever, that you're off the team, because that's not what we do here. A a great deal of paranormal investigation teams also have very little social media presence, because they don't have time for it. Right. So it's this this idea that the only reason why you would do paranormal investigation is content creation or TV is something that is very pervasive and not true. But that's based around because people's only education or understanding of paranormal investigation comes from television. And so I don't really fault people for that because that's the only thing that they've been exposed to. But what I do find with most paranormal investigation teams is they're out there looking for evidence. They're out there looking for truth. They, they, they have questions that they want answered. And in fact, the, the top reason that I find why people are paranormal investigators is because they grew up in a home that was haunted and they've been looking for answers ever since for their own, again, trauma that they experienced during that in which they're looking for evidence that says, see, I am not crazy. This stuff does exist. And I think that that's something that is understandable. The fault that we have in a lot of paranormal groups is that they don't know what to do with what they find. And a lot of them try and come at it from a perspective that is so scientific that there is no way that they will ever be satisfied. Because I think we see this term a lot, this idea of debunking, yeah, um, which people take to an extreme level. Yeah where it's just like, well, is there any way that this evidence could have been faked? Well, of course there is. Like, we've all seen the latest, like, Marvel superhero movie in which New York got destroyed. Like, we can we can fake anything. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, like, there's literally anything that we can fake. But the question is, you know, do we have any evidence that says that this was faked? That's, we need to work with debunking a little bit. But I, I think that's kind of an Achilles heel of a lot of paranormal investigation is that they will never be satisfied with what they find. And so I think we really need to pivot away from this idea of finding irrefutable evidence because we will never find it because right. the bar for it is too high and turn around to how can we help? Yeah. And I think too, not only is that going to change the the impression that a lot of people have of paranormal investigation, but I think it's going to make it so much more accessible for people because it's like, well, this doesn't have to be about television. This also doesn't have to be about fighting the ghosts because when people hear about what I do, a great deal of what I do on the team is negative entity removal. I do exorcisms from spaces and they're like, that's terrifying. I can never do that. And I'm like, well, okay. If someone said, do you want to go fight spirits or what if they said, there are spirits out there that need help. Do you want to help them? Then suddenly people can get on board with that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think if we, the paranormal community can be a little bit louder in the fact that they are not what is depicted on television and also pivot away from this idea of searching for proof, which I do think should be a part of it, but it shouldn't be the central axis. The central axis should be How can we help? How can we be involved? How can we, you know, sort of minister or counsel these spirits? How can we minister or counsel to the living people Mm -hmm. who are dealing with this as well? Then I think we'll see the entire landscape of paranormal investigation, not only from how people view it, but also how we approach it as investigators will completely shift in a way that's going to be so much better, so much more understandable, and so much 
more helpful and accessible. Right. And taking the approach of more of a therapeutic framework Mm -hmm. instead of this imperial science framework of Mm -hmm. I have to somehow show evidence of that ghosts are real. It doesn't matter if ghosts are real or not in whatever context or bar you want to measure that at. The experience of the people in the house that are having this, that is real. That is the experience. Just like the experience of someone who's had trauma and gone to a therapist to work through that trauma, that is whether or not the event happened exactly the way that they think it happened, it still is having that impression. And Mm -hmm. so by taking that approach of it doesn't matter whether or not we can prove if ghosts are real and Mm -hmm. an afterlife exists, when we can focus on both the case study and what is the history of the place that Mm -hmm. could possibly be related to these paranormal activities, and then seeing if Again, that traumatic event is echoing through the paranormal activity as a way to both understand why it's happening and also to help the people that are in the location that's having this event to be able to find some way to both see the truth of what happened and help whatever entity or be able to clear that energy, but also as a way to recognize and have compassion for the people involved and not just be like, yo, we can't find any specific EMP or evidence of paranormal activity. So therefore, what you're experiencing isn't valid. That is Mm -hmm. not a helpful way to approach it. And that's oftentimes what we see with paranormal investigation. It's like the law and order phenomenon with ghosts, right? Like the law and justice system is not a 50 minute case open case shut sort of situation (laughs) oftentimes it's not resolved it's messy it's full of eras and human incompetence and police misconduct and there's not this open and shut case that we can put into television and so that's why Mm -hmm. a lot of people are really misinformed about the justice system because they watch Law and Order. And I think John Oliver did an episode about this back on last week tonight. But yeah, just this idea that when you take something and you put it into the context of entertainment purposes, it flattens it. Mm-hmm. It takes out the sort of messy human dynamic that oftentimes is the reality of the situation. And I feel like that's the same thing with paranormal investigation is that mm-hmm. there isn't this very obvious paranormal evidence. Sometimes there is. Sometimes Mm -hmm. there is some freaky stuff that you encounter, but that's not going to be every single case. And that just because you don't get the super viral pic of a ghost image from your camera equipment doesn't mean that that place still isn't haunted and it isn't having an effect Mm -hmm. on the people that are in that environment. And so, yeah, I mean, now that I've read your book and you and I have been talking about this, it's made me become a lot more cognizant. And also just, I have a lot more of a willingness to approach paranormal activity and paranormal situations from this curiosity and perspective of like, okay, what happened? What happened here that the trauma and echoes of it is wanting to be resolved? It wants to come to light. It wants Mm -hmm. to have the truth of what happened be known to the living entities that are in this place and how we can incorporate that. And as this is our Samhain episode, I wanted to ask you what your thoughts are about this concept of the thinning of the veil and what are some recommendations from the perspective of trauma-informed paranormal resolution that you would share with our listeners about this particular time of year and Also, do you find that this concept of the thinning of of the veil is relevant in your work? Absolutely. Okay, there's so much I want to tackle here because this is, is, I love this conversation because this is fascinating. Okay, so backtracking a little bit to what we were just talking about with this idea of of paranormal investigation teams and this idea of looking for irrefutable evidence and all that, and that being kind of the scientific backbone of, of how a lot of people are approaching paranormal investigation, which is not helpful. We're We're not going to get there. Right. But at the same time, of course, because it's a science switch podcast, which I love, 
there is still room for science in this because like when you're talking about Gettysburg, right? So what I would love to know with something like, like Gettysburg or, or similar areas where we have this massive traumatic event and this paranormal activity that is still happening in this area, instead of going, okay, well, whether or not we have irrefutable proof that goes surreal or not, throw that in the trash. What happens if everyone who is descended from everyone who was impacted by the Battle of Gettysburg received trauma therapy or did ancestral work from a trauma-informed perspective, would the haunting at Gettysburg go away? Ooh, yeah. Or in reverse, if someone or several people like me were to come to Gettysburg and heal the space, would then there be a mass healing of everyone who is descended from those who were impacted by that battle? Yeah. These are measurable things. These are things that we can actually look at. That's where science can fit in. Science can still be part of this. Um, And especially when we come at it from this idea of trauma, because you're right, you know, whether or not ghosts are real is not what we're trying to prove here. It's, you know, do we have reports of hauntings with that correlating with this trauma? And then can we get them to interact with one another? This idea of the trauma and what people are experiencing. Mm. Um, That is stuff that we can do. Yeah. I would love to. If anyone has grant money and a flight in place for me to stay in Gettysburg, let me know. Now, coming back to your question about this thinning of the veil and what can we do and whether or not I feel like this time of year is more active, that is a great question. Um, I do very much feel like there's something about this time of year in which the spirit world and our world is a lot closer than it usually is. Um, in, in a more physical sense, I, I always feel like kind of like the spirits are always kind of all around us, but there is something different about this time of time of year where I feel like there's more of an exchange than there usually is. Yeah. And I, I do get that sense, but I, I don't only get that sense around here. I also get this sense um, in the spring as well. Right. There's a when very it's the polar, similar... the polar opposite. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I do feel like there's a very similar kind of energy that happens around the time. I think the way we perceive it is different based off of our cultural understandings about this time of year and and how spring is and, and how we feel about it. I think those are different. But if we're going to approach this time of year, this thinning of the veil time of year, from this trauma-informed perspective, I think that the best thing we can do is do ancestor work during this time. And I recommend that people recalibrate their understanding of ancestor work and remember that when we do ancestor work, it is about the ancestors, it is not about us. And I think that they will have so much better results with their work because I find a lot of people who are struggling with ancestors is because they're they're getting in their own way by either being like, well, um, you know, my my grandpa was a smoker, but I don't agree with that. So I'm not going to put like a pack of cigarettes on the altar. It's not your altar. It's theirs. Put a pack of cigarettes there for grandpa. Or this idea that I call <laughs> canceling the ancestors. where It's like, oh, well, you know, great uncle Joe did this and this and this. Therefore, he's left off the altar. And then it's like, okay, well, going back to that story you told about the man whose uncle froze to death. Uh, imagine had this man been an abusive alcoholic person and they just decided that they were never going to acknowledge them or heal them. Then this person would be living with terrible freezing insomnia for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. You know, we still have to heal this. There is still work to be done. And, and we need to sort of set aside our personal feelings on it to enact this healing with the ancestors. And a lot of the time when I do this work, I find that the quote unquote problematic ancestors are the ones that are the quickest to try and help because I have found that they often have realized on the other side where they were wrong, they've received healing and are now very eager to try and do something to help make up for it, to try and help us, to try and do this work. And so... I would encourage everybody to approach this as being like, you know what? Yes, some of the ancestors are problematic, 
They're probably problematic because of the trauma that they faced. Right. Which is also affecting me. There's yeah. a reason why uncle so-and-so was terrible because there was a long line of terrible things that were happening ahead of him. Right. And if we want that to stop, which we very much do, we then have to face it. I think nowadays this idea of trauma, we, we've learned enough vocabulary to identify trauma. Yes. But then we don't go forward and to heal it. We like to talk about how we've healed our trauma, but we don't actually do it. Right. And so, because it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I really, really want people to go beyond just identifying the trauma and creating space and love and compassion for their ancestors during this time, because this is a great time to do that, to extend compassion, to recognize the trauma of our ancestors, to hold space for them and their grief and their healing. And I think we'd be surprised at not only what we find when we approach these people, but also what it does for us when we do as well. Right. Because when we heal our ancestors, when we acknowledge them and we see the trauma that caused them to be the way they were in life, we heal ourselves. And that's something that Mm -hmm. we know from the epigenetic work is when you have the ability to recognize the truth of your family systems. And that looks like sometimes acknowledging that one of your ancestors perpetrated some horrible thing on other Mm -hmm. people. Like if you are related to somebody who was either murdered or committed murder, that understanding and why and having compassion for both the, the victim of the crime as well as the perpetrator is the way that we can first understand the truth of what happened to our ancestors, why Mm -hmm. this trauma was perpetuated. And then that does have the effect of changing our DNA so that our DNA doesn't have that hallmark and echo of the trauma. And that was one of the most like profound things that I read about in this book. And the book was written by you know, a white guy who was a, you know, Western trained psychologist, very much from the scientific background. And the way that he found that people were able to resolve a lot of the uncanny, ineffable issues of their own human experience was to have an ancestral healing practice. That's something that many different cultures have. And in a lot of ways, our ancestors knew, like our ancestors knew trauma had to be recognized and brought to light in order for it to be healed. And now we have the DNA evidence to support this. And I see that the same thing is going to happen with paranormal activity and, and understanding how and why places are haunted is because the truth of that place needs to be known so that it can be integrated into our living human stories and framework and the zeitgeist. And then that is a way to release that trauma, be it through dispersing the energy or just having the compassion of saying, I see what happened here. I acknowledge that it's happened. And that can be the way that the resolution happens both inside of us as well as like in the environment. And that's, yeah, that's, that's a really powerful idea. And so I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, you and I got to talk about this on the show. I'm glad that, you know, this has been an idea that has helped to inform some of your work. And I'm hoping that we can continue to have this conversation and bring this idea to more and more of the paranormal investigation, as well as just the, you know, world at large as an idea of how science can inform both spirituality, but also help inform the ways that we interact with our own human experience and make a better world for both ourselves and the reverberations of whatever paranormal activity are existing. Because when we can have the compassion and honesty, both in ourselves, as well as like in the history of a place, that is when we can resolve a lot of these traumatic things that are continuing to cause this disturbance and reverberations. So mm-hmm. yeah, thank you so much for for coming on and being our Sawin special guest. I really become a big fan of your work. 
And of course, you're local to me. So this is something that I'm really excited to continue to develop and also work with you about uh, as we, you know, continue both of our careers and interest in this topic. So what are the next projects coming up for you in terms of like books or events? And yeah, do you have anything else you want to share with the listeners before we uh, sign off? Oh, that is a great question. I have 150 things in the pan right now. And I'm trying to do all of them at once. (laughs) So we'll see uh, when they have when they come out. So I do have several books that I'm writing right now that I hope to get out into the world that kind of revolve around this topic and the idea of of healing and incorporating those from the other side and bringing them into our healing practices as well. So those are some projects that I'm working on as well as getting out. Uh, A lot of what I'm doing right now revolves around this idea of mediumship and, and contacting the dead. So uh, I would anticipate more of that for me, um, as well as the potential for more folk magic books as well. We'll see uh, how my career survives me just not being on social media anymore. (laughs) Uh, Because let's be honest, a great deal of occult publishing revolves around how many followers you have. And if you meet a certain mark, then you get your book published. So we'll, we'll see if anybody still wants to publish me now that I'm kind of unreachable in that sense, but I do have more to say. Um, and so I am hoping that uh, the world will allow me to to say it and put it out there. So I don't think that this will be the last that you hear from me. And I do, I do look forward to putting more tools into people's hands so that more people can do the work because that's what I'm, that's what I'm here to do, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I would really like to not have as much social media in my life as I do, but being a podcaster, it's sort of important to the whole podcasting thing. But that's mm-hmm. also one of the reasons I like, I like having you as a guest because I, I kind of do a lot of that legwork for you so that your ideas and your work can be more reachable to people that would access it through social media without you having to <laughs> traumatize yourself. <laughs> right. So much. It all circles back to the trauma. <laughs> Always comes back to the trauma. Yep. 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 Well, Jay Allen, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you again for your amazing work and your perspective on this topic. And yeah, I'm of course, always excited to see what you come up with next and have you back on the show so we can continue this conversation and continue developing what I think is probably like a really important idea that I'm hoping more and more people will recognize and see and also take on this this work as you have given such an amazing guide to in your book. So thank you. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to J. Allen Cross for coming on the podcast for our Samhain special. We hope to have him back again to revisit some of these topics and possibly develop them into a special limited series about this particular conversation. So yeah, stay tuned for that. In the meantime, if you want to support our podcast and help us keep the lights on so we can continue to bring you these episodes, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter, which is the main way we are financially supporting the podcast. Our Discord server has become one of the ways we connect with our listener base, and we have several channels for each of the different tiers of support, as well as a general chat for everyone. We love getting feedback and questions by way of that platform, so please check it out if if you're looking to interact with us a little bit more directly. On Patreon, we have different levels to fit your budget. If you want to access our bonus episodes, live recordings, including the audio from our Trans Telethon, PowerPoint, Tarot Spreads, and more, you can access that and more stuff that we are adding all the time for only a dollar a month. Starting our next episode, we will be offering an early access exclusive to Patreon, so if you want to be up to date on the Science Witch podcast a day before everyone else, that's where you go to do it. Yeah, and then over at our $5 a month for our sticker exchange, where I will mail you roughly one sticker per month from one of our artists in our Science Witch Art Coven. If you missed stickers from our previous months and want to complete your collection, you can purchase them a la carte over on our Etsy page. 
And then finally, at our $10 a month level, you'll get access to the Science Witch Coven, as well as my tarot and astrology practice, where I will read your tarot over Zoom and give you some insight into your birth chart. We're always working on developing more special perks for supporters at this level, so yeah, stay tuned. We also have a YouTube channel where we're finally posting the video from the Trans Telethon stream we did a couple months ago, as well as Angel has been posting videos from Who's in Bloom, as well as field reports. We are also hoping to share more extended video content from our episodes, as well as have a place to post captioned videos for our deaf followers, so our content can be more accessible to a wider range of folks out there interested in the ways of science and witchcraft, and the ways that they affirm one another. If you want to find us on the social medias, we are on Threads, Instagram, and Facebook as The Science Witch Podcast. And you can still find us on the whatever the fuck it is named now, X, Twitter, whatever, as at Science Witch Pod. I guess we should make a blue sky for Science Witch Podcast, but you know, anyway. So maybe we'll show up there eventually too. If you want to check out the show notes and transcripts from this episode, see our website at sciencewitchpodcast.com. Finally, again, if you hate social media, and I totally understand at this point, you can still reach out to us where you can email us at questions at sciencewitchpodcast.com. And of course, until next time, live long and prosper. And blessed be.